kind. Rewind. This is Dope Nostalgia. Welcome to episode 86 of Dope Nostalgia. I'm your host, Naomi. Joining me this week is my friend, Ryan Bradley, a radio personality from right here in my hometown of Edmonton. He is one of the biggest Metallica fans I know. He has some amazing stories from his days in radio and then all the times that he himself got to meet or hang out with Metallica. He'll be sharing them on the episode today, but we're focusing on Metallica in the 90s and what they were up to. It was a weird time for Metallica because... They started it off with the Black album. Then they cut their hair, put out two albums that not a lot of Metallica fans are completely big fans of. But let me tell you, I love Load and Reload. We'll get into that. Some people are not going to agree with me. If you want to tell me what you think of those albums that Metallica put out, you can always give us a call, leave us a voicemail, and we'll play it on the show. The number is 780 850- 851-8785. Now, if you leave us a voicemail and we play it on the show, that's really cool. Talk about Metallica. Talk about whatever you want, whatever's been on the show, your favorite moments, things that you think would be really cool additions. And right now, we want you to send, call, give us a call. Tell us on our voicemail your favorite song of the 90s. Just leave us a message and tell us what it is. And now, let's talk Metallica. Wikipedia Moments. Metallica is an American heavy metal band. The band was formed in 1981 in Los Angeles by vocalist and guitarist James Hetfield and drummer Lars Ulrich and has been based in San Francisco for most of its career. The band's fast tempos, instrumentals, and aggressive musicianship made them one of the founding big four bands of thrash metal alongside Megadeth, Anthrax, and Slayer. Metallica's current lineup comprises founding members and primary songwriters Hetfield and Ulrich, longtime lead guitarist Kirk Hammett, and bassist Robert Trulio. Don't know if I said his name right. Uh, I'm sorry, Robert. Guitarist Dave Mustaine, who went on to form Megadeth after being fired from the band, and bassist Ron McGovney, Cliff Burton, who passed away in a bus accident in Sweden in 1986, and Jason Newstead are former members of the band. Metallica released these studio albums in the 90s, starting with the Black Album in 1991, Load in 1996, Reload 1997, and those were the studio albums. Let's talk about the live albums. The box set Live Shit Binge and Purge came out in 1993. S&M with the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra was released in 1999. This month, we celebrate the 30th anniversary of the release of the Black Album, which was one of Metallica's most successful albums and most impactful albums on their career. It's now time to welcome Ryan Bradley to the show. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's been a long time since I've gotten to uh, chat with you. So, yeah, were you doing some helicopter stuff, too? Yeah, when I got let go from radio, I went to uh, CTN and I started doing the helicopter traffic for Global uh, TV and for 630 Chads. I guess it's Global 880 now, the radio station and yeah. a couple other stations. So yeah, it was interesting. I mean, it's so weird to be flying around the city and you think you know the city. Like I'm born and raised here and you think you know the city. Mm-hmm. 
fly up above it and you're looking at the streets and you're like what road is that down there it's it's weird so you have this time and i'm like six two and sitting in the back of a helicopter and i've got this huge joystick where you have to control the camera and you've got your sponsor tags here and you're trying to keep the camera zoomed in on there while you're trying to read your report and stay to the left i mean the right or north south wow and then just to sit there and hover that's a weird feeling not moving anywhere do you ever get used to that feeling or is it just kind of like uncomfortable in the moment do you feel like you're just going to like drop out of the sky at times yeah and i have a big fear of heights so it was weird people were like why are you doing it then i'm like because it's fun but yeah, it's it's freaky. It takes a while to get used to. So uh, I applaud all of those who've done it before me and are still doing it now. Yeah, but that way you kind of conquered a fear, right? I guess a so. Little bit. A little so bit. That's kind of kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, I mean it was fun. Good, good. All right. Well, um, I'm going to let everybody know that this is my buddy Ryan, who's uh, been doing radio for many, many years, and uh, I think we met probably in the early 2000s. Yeah. It, uh... Rosario. Yeah. Doing yes. that doing that karaoke competition back when you were on Joe FM. Yeah, I got to they're like, hey, we've got this gig. We want you to go out and judge this karaoke contest every whatever it was, Thursday night. And I'm like, sure. Yeah, okay. And that's <laughs> where we met. And I mean, watching you sing, you just kept blowing everybody out of the water every week. And I was like, okay, well, we gotta give someone else a prize, but you always took me. It was just a good time every week, like yeah. because the drinks kept flowing and we were all pretty young and you know, just yeah, there was a good time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. It was, it was a really good time, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I guess we've grown up a bit. Yeah, you you got like you're married with kids, oh, you know. Uh, I guess I'm following in my dad's footsteps. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was gonna say what in the '90s, which this podcast is really centered about. What were you doing around when the '90s started? Where were you in your life? I was in junior high. Uh, so 91, 2, 3, that was kind of my junior high. 94, 5, 6 was high school. <clears throat> so when I look back on it, like my sister-in-laws now, uh, they're younger than me. And they've got the same taste in music as I do for the most part. Mm-hmm. They always say things like, it must have been really cool to you know, have been around when Nirvana was a thing and, uh, you know, all these big bands, you know, the grunge era was huge for me. Right. And so uh, going through that time, they're like, do you remember those days? I'm like, I remember vividly like finding out Kurt Cobain died because, you know, it was Metallica, the Chili Peppers and Nirvana. That was kind of like my core. Uh, Mm -hmm. That was a big moment. I'll never forget that. And I mean, think of the albums that came out in 91, 92, 93, 94. And like, nothing beats it so i love your podcast i love what you're doing i really liked everything that happened there was so much metallica stuff happening in the 90s and i'm one of those fans that a lot of like the purest metallica fans despise because i actually i'm gonna say right off the bat i love load and reload i do i do i do (laughs) they do there were six albums that came out that year metallica put out six albums in the 90s it's think about right i mean a couple of live ones and you know and and whatnot but three core albums and three live compilation albums and they were on fire and they were huge and um i know a lot of people started getting upset with them in the with the black album just saying oh they're sellouts and whatever but i mean five big singles off of that and everybody knows that album 
and then not with you. Like I stuck with him through load, reload. I even stuck with him through Shane Anger, but that's <laughs> that's getting into the next decade. So let's not worry about that one. But. We don't have to touch on Shane Anger, luckily. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I feel like when they were going into the 90s, there had been a lot of change. Obviously, Newstead hadn't been in the band as the bassist for that long yet. Yeah, Justice for All, and that was it at the time. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, uh, great. <laughs> I remember, so my experience with Metallica, I'll tell mine briefly. Um, I first heard about them when I was growing up in Gibbons in like the late 80s, early 90s, because uh, there were some banger kids that we like to hang out with and rock with and they were playing like a bunch of Metallica covers in the basement and inviting people to come and watch them jam and this was like Metallica was kind of underground back then to the mainstream so that's the first time I'd heard of them and at the time I was like a little pop princess I was like I wasn't really like this was really heavy music to me and then once we got into like the early 90s, I noticed how much more melodic their sound was when they put out the Black Album. Yeah, And that, that appealed to me more. Okay. So that's basically my journey on how I discovered them. What about you? Well, <laughs> I got to thank kind of my cousins, I guess. I had older cousins. And uh, when I was in uh, junior high, I was really into like new kids on the block. and like You that. were? Yeah. Yeah, like hanging tough cassette was always being played, right? And so then I'd go hang out with my older cousins, and they'd play things like Poison and ACDC and Metallica, and I was like, "Oh, that's that's heavy." But I also started playing drums when I was in junior high, and so I was like, "Well, drumming to the new kids isn't the same as drumming to the <laughs> cool stuff, right?" And yeah. so Ricky Rocket from Poison really fueled me with my drums. But then it was Lars that solidified it because he was the king. His drums were forefront, especially once Bob Rock took over and like with the Black Album. Mm-hmm. His drums were forefront. He's one of the main songwriters with James. And his drums were prominent. They were loud. And he was a really well-known drummer. And so I was like, that's my guy. And then I just kept going and kept going. I heard Fade to Black for the first time. And to this day, it's still my favorite song of all time. Yeah. Great back in the 80s but everything that they have done except for lulu uh, i've never listened to it i'm scared to it's just don't uh i always keep thinking i should oh one day i should i should just listen to it and then i totally forget so it's good it's definitely uh it's it's one of its own it's unique strange but so what are you gonna do have you met anybody who actually enjoys it no, actually, it's just also something that never comes up in conversation because people kind of forget about that one. Much like <laughs> right? uh, but I'm with you in a sense that I went, I went along with the journey from the Black Album. I was like, I, these are incredible bangers. What are you talking about? Like, they're not selling out. They're making money, and that's what bands want to do. Mm-hmm. Everything that came off that album was incredible. And I don't know if you ever watched uh, A Year and a Half in the Life of Metallica. Did you ever watch that? Oh, I know I did, but it was so long ago that I don't really remember much of it. It was a double VHS, like a two-pack of VHS. And I mean, those were pretty rare, right? It was like that and Titanic, yeah. maybe the Godfather. <laughs> it's true. Double VHS. So the first, the first tape was all behind the scenes making the Black Album. In the studio, fights, 
recording, screaming, everything. Lars banging his stick right through his snare head. And Bob Rock pushing the button and the producer thing saying, uh, yeah, okay, just take five and we'll get someone to come fix that for you and we'll regroup. And like things like that were incredible. And then the second tape was the touring yeah. uh, where they went out to promote the album. And, you know, it showed there was news crews out there for like launch day, uh, people going nuts buying it. And uh, my friend of misery was playing over the intro to it. I'll never forget that. And I watched mm-hmm. that those both tapes over and over and over and over I, word for word i knew it and then the video for nothing else matters is actually taken from footage of that oh is it okay yeah so like when you see them in the studio and james sticking a knife at the camera and just farting around that's that's all from that docuseries i guess and it was amazing amazing what would you consider to be one of the highlights of the black album unforgiven yeah unforgiven um if you watch that video because like i watched it like i said religiously um they talk about the process of kirk's guitar solo in the unforgiven Mm -hmm. so first james is kind of talking about the fact that we wanted to do something different we wanted a heavy verse light chorus because it's very opposite in most rock music right it's kind of melodic and then heavy heavy choruses whereas this one unforgiven it's heavy and then the chorus is melodic and beautiful yeah and that's a really cool way of writing a song and really unique to the time and then bob rock was getting really mad at kirk because he could not get the guitar solo right and he would try all these different things all these different things and in that video of a year and a half in the life of metallica you can see bob rock getting mad at kirk yelling at him and he's like fine man let's hear it let's hear the guitar player solo of the year do it right now and they cranks up the track and Kirk's sitting on a couch like I am right now. And he played the solo that ended up being on the album. And it's just unreal. Cause you, they captured that moment on film and mm-hmm. made it to the album. And I'm like, they kind of just faded it out afterwards and everyone's looking at him like, yeah, that was the one. So that really stands out to me just from watching the footage as well as listening to it over and over again. And I had the, do you remember cassette singles? Like in yes. the world? yeah i had that and that, that was all i had at the time and then eventually i got the whole album but mm-hmm. I, that thing over and over again so unforgiven
But I mean, you can't dismiss the power of nothing else matters and Enter Sandman either. Because that riff, Enter Sandman's opening riff, is, in my opinion, one of the greatest riffs of rock and roll of all time. Yeah. Kirk wrote that in the hotel room in the middle of the night and phoned up uh, James and said, I'm playing this. What do you think? And he's like, and then it was Lars's idea, I guess, to change, do it three and then tail off on the fourth. And oh. that's how that riff became to be. And then the rest is history. But it was, yeah, I want to watch that VHS now. Do you have a VCR? Don't you? Yeah. <laughs> I still have a VCR. Of course I do. <laughs> Nostalgia <laughs> addict over here. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? What sticks out? Well, first of all, I was going to touch on the fact that Bob Rock was such a huge force in their career, but also especially in a lot of bands. He worked with so many bands during that time that he was the guy to get, right? And yeah, when you tell that story about how he got that out of him, it makes it, it's very interesting to me because I I know the best producers are the ones that get the strongest performances out of you, but sometimes... In, in a situation where I've been in the studio, it makes me super nervous and it makes it even worse. Yeah, because I get the, the mood a little bit, right? Yeah. yeah. So when you tell that story, I find it really interesting that it worked. That time it did because Kirk just lit it up and it was, you could see the frustration in his eyes. You could see like the rest of the bands kind of hovered around the couch with him. It was just time to lay down the solo and Bob's yelling at him and <laughs> really cool. I'm going to pull up the uh, track list for this one so that I can just go over it for a moment here. And I know that um, forever, wherever I may roam is one of my definite favorites. Yeah. I've always enjoyed that one and singing that one too. And it's a neat. wolf and man. Yes, absolutely. It's neat on the, wherever I may roam. They, on the day they were recording that uh, similar situation, but a lot more jovial like bob wasn't in a bad mood that day but they brought in all these different weirdo instruments that the guys had never played before or seen before you know from kind of all over the world and so they were just tinkering around with them all and banging all the sounds that they could and then uh that's that's why the intro to wherever i may roam's got kind of that really interesting eastern vibe to it and those really clangy instruments and things and it was really really neat and it's a heavy heavy riff too. heavy were you at the show last time they were in town? I think at the stadium, right? Yeah. Has it been three or four years now? 2017, yeah. yeah. Last time. How many times have you seen them live? Five. Five Sweet. Yeah. Are they always here in Edmonton or have you ever traveled to go see them? Oh, I've never gone anywhere else. It's always been here. Uh, the first time was right after Load came out, 1997. And I know you're an Edmonton girl, so you know Heritage Mall? Yes. My buddies and I waited outside heritage mall upper level overnight to get tickets and did you go to that tour that was the 97 the cunning stunts tour i've never seen them live whoa i know whoa okay it's well, so strange I, I well i've seen just concert videos but i've never been to the show okay well cunning stunts anyone who went to that show um was outstanding because a, there was no social media. There was no, nothing's being ruined for you. No one's videotaping things. There was none of that then. Mm. So you're in there and they played three quarters of the show. And I'm sitting with my buddies that we waited out all night, you know, to get those tickets. And we're sitting up there and we're just having the time of our lives. Like, can't believe we're seeing Metallica for the first time. This is unreal. And all of a sudden we start, and we're, we were in a band at the time as well. So like, we, you know, we, we felt like we were really in tune to everything that was going on. And we could hear some cutting 
of the music, right? Like Mike would cut here, guitar would cut here. There'd be some fuzz and amps and stuff. Just, just a little bit. And I'm like, what is going? You hear that? Yeah, I heard that. Weird. You'd think Metallica could afford to do this right. <laughs> and all of a sudden, things started really cutting out, and they had these huge um, palm tree esque light fixtures that kind of rose up. It was an in the round show, so it was a huge, huge stage, and they had these big lights that went up. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, one of them started smoking underneath, and then the music completely cut out. The lights were all flashing. And then there was a big explosion kind of underneath the stage. And a guy comes running out on stage. He's on fire. All the lights are starting to flash and spark around. Everyone in the crowd is going, what? The music stopped at this point. And you just hear feedback. And then one of those big palm tree lights fell full tilt right down onto the stage and exploded. And, you know, like everything. And um, big pieces of scaffolding were falling from the roof and landing on the stage and everything. The band's ducking and hiding and went away. So everyone's sitting there floored. They're what? Like, when should we get out of here? Do we call nine one one? What's going on? And sure enough, these four, you know, like in an unfinished basement, you've got a light bulb hanging on a string. Yep. There's four of those that kind of all of a sudden just drop down from the top. And James comes up, pulls a switch, and turns one on. And then Lars comes up and does the same. Kirk comes up. Jason comes up. They all turn on these lights. And then they've got. Another drum kit, just a small, not a Lars drum kit, but a small drum kit and a couple of amps set up and they plug everything back in and they start playing, but they're not playing into like the system in the, in, in Rexall, right? It was just like you had your amp and your drums and some mics sitting down in the middle of Rexall and that's all you had. They just turned the, the mains off. Yeah. So they start playing a little bit and then boom, they kick back in and everything kicked. Like it was all part of the show. And it was unbelievable. And they actually did a nod to it, that poster there, that uh, the full Arsenal tour, that ah. tour they kind of went through the decades. And at the, at the very end, you know, kind of in, when they got to like the low reload era, that's when they kind of did similar things. You know, one of the things fell and whatever. But at the time in 97, it was like nothing any one of us had ever seen before. And it was unforgettable. It was unreal. Like it was all meant to happen and it looked like just the place got destroyed. Whoever thought that up was just genius. And the engineering behind it too, to make it like that big thing came down like full tilt and to make it all with the hydraulic, whatever they're doing. The so pirate. 97? Yeah. See, and that was before social media. So they go from show to show to show and everybody wouldn't know it was going to happen. Yeah. They couldn't pull that off now. No, 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 that's, it's all ruined now. Yeah. So and social media so yeah it was it was like nothing i'd ever seen wow <laughs> i'm really uh sad i missed that but i'm sure there's got to be some kind of did they ever put that out on a video anywhere they did yeah there's a VHS, there's a i'm sure you can find footage of it for sure but yeah there's Good. a vhs uh i've got it yeah, i've got it right there i've got a whole bunch of them sitting right there yeah i've got the cunning stunts to it on there to mention uh, i was talking to um have you heard of mitch lafon in in quebec he's got he, he's like got uh well anyways mitch lafon has his own rock radio show podcast and he's on youtube and it's doing awesome he's he's a great rock journalist and um he was telling me he was at the gnr metallica show in quebec oh wow the one where james got burnt yep wow so he recounted the story for me on my 
Bon Jovi episode that I was doing with him. We ended up talking about that a lot, but <laughs> that would have been a crazy one. Like I remember, I remember hearing all about it. I remember seeing, you know, whatever footage they were putting on TV at the time of him. It was like a 12 foot pyro that he walked into. And, mm-hmm. and GNR had to come out to a really ticked off crowd because Metallica had to stop. Yeah. We a couple months later with casts, both arms and casts. Well, Mitch up. was Mitch was saying like he knew early on before the riot app actually happened. He's like he could feel it in the air that something was going to go wrong. So his buddy uh, he went with him and just got a brand new car that was parked out in the lot. And he's like, we need to get out of here now because they're going to literally throw your car over. <laughs> like imagine went and saw that cunning stunts tour, like whatever that was, years later, and then was like, oh my god, it's happening again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Things are going down here it's like i don't know if i want to be here because this could be historic or totally frightening no that's crazy yeah so then well the load area when that happens um my boyfriend at the time was like the biggest metallica fan i ever knew and so we went to the hard rock cafe in bourbon street for the release of the load album at midnight they were going to start selling them that night and uh i was just kind of like casual fan yeah. wasn't really into it but once he put on that album and he was playing it all the time i was like i really dig this i dig this a lot and um i know like the biggest hype at the beginning of that release was the fact that the album cover the type of art it was yep bodily fluids <laughs> yep. but um, it got a lot of attention but then the more people were talking about the music a lot of old school metallica fans were just like i hate this Yep. Well, they came back after, you know, what was it, like six, five, six years, five years, I guess, since uh, six years since, no, Load came out in 96, so five years since, since the Black Album. Mm-hmm. And they came back with short hair, piercings, tattoos, gothy videos, you know, like, do you remember the video for Until It Sleeps? Like, yep. you can take your eyes off it. It was the coolest, weirdest thing. And you're like, I can't believe it's the same guys. Mm-hmm. I thought they looked cool and I was, you know, we were both growing up in that era. So we were like, okay, well, that's the cool thing now. I don't need to have a mullet. I need to wear some makeup and cut my hair short. Everybody was cutting their hair. Yeah, everybody was like, just remember Eddie Van Halen, he cut his hair and went to the short hair around that same time. And it was like, okay, well, long hair is not just for rockers anymore. They can have short hair too. And it took a lot of people back. And I remember because a lot of people, they've always would talk to me because I was always such a huge Metallica fan. And they'd say, well, what do you think? I'm like, I love it. The music's great. The guys, they're still the same band. Like mm-hmm. they're, they're changing and they're doing what they got to do now and what they feel like doing now. And that's the cool thing about them. Like if you listen to Mama Said offload, like that's basically a country song, right? There's mm-hmm. multiple- almost slide guitar in there and then low man's lyric from reload and it's just oh i love that track it's a it's it's there's a violin and then an instrument called a hurdy-gurdy that's what (laughs) never heard of that before but that's the instrument that's making all those weird sounds in there and uh they i mean with reload it was the first time they had a guest singer too uh marianne faithful came on Mm -hmm. and (laughs) and she's so cool and creepy in the video and cool and creepy in the audio too like just to hear that mournful ah, ah, ah. And, yeah. uh, i remember when when reload came out they were doing a performance on snl and 
that was back when you had to put a blank VHS in and record it. And I wasn't obviously even up till midnight when I was younger. So, uh, well, maybe I was, I don't know, but I'd record it and then I'd watch it over and over again. And, uh, I remember them coming out and Kirk had a guitar that was, Oh no, that was on cutting stunts. It was filled with liquid inside his guitar. It was like a big fish tank almost. And he was, <laughs> that's what it was. That was in cutting stunts. Um, but I, I recorded it and I watched them play that. I remember them playing The Memory Remains and Marianne Faithful was on there too. And honestly, before that, I thought it was a guy that was singing that backup. I thought it was just someone they had got. I didn't know it was a lady and I didn't yeah. know Marianne Faithful. I didn't even know who that was at the time. But yeah, I, I watched that religiously too. That was really cool. Ash to ash, dust to dust, face to back. so much fun but it's kind of expensive too we got to pay for stuff like licensing fees hosting fees long distance phone calls etc etc you get the drill okay well we have a new thing called patreon now dope nostalgia has a patreon account where you can subscribe to premium content and what that means for you is for the very low starting price of one dollar a month you'll be able to get the podcast two days in advance of the regular release not only that, $3 a month, you get exclusive video content just for you guys to check out bonus stuff all the time that you don't get with the regular show. So check it out, patreon.com slash dope nostalgia. Become a subscriber today and get all the good perks. It's a Conspiracy is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network and happily powered by ATB. 
We are a bi-weekly podcast that aims to discuss selected conspiracy theories, alternative accounts, legends, myths, and more without coloring the topic with our conversation until the very end of the episode. We also feature beer reviews, lame jokes, bad puns, far too many 80s movies references, geek culture, and general nerdery. Our Our real aim is for fun, inclusive content that doesn't take itself too too seriously. You don't have to be blisteringly paranoid of mind control to enjoy a chin wag with your old pals, Greg, Charlie, Andrew, the Irish Madman, and our podcast puppies, Kylo and Ren. (laughs) It's a Conspiracy is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Introducing TurboGrafx-16, the next generation video game system. It's four times faster, so the games are more exciting. There are almost ten times as many colors, so the arcade quality graphics are even more intense. And you can expand your system with a CD player for CD games with sound effects that are turbocharged. TurboGrafx-16 from NEC, the higher energy video game system. I'm pretty sure I thought it was a guy as well. Yeah. Until I saw the video. Um, was that guitar that was filled with water? Was that one of his ESPs? Like I would assume so, yeah. It's, it's probably it's, custom made for him. Oh, for sure. He's not a lot. But it was really neat because there's only one real small scene in Cunning Stunts, like because it's just basically the live show. And um, there's one scene where he pulls up this guitar and he's playing it, and James kind of calls it out, oh cool guitar, man. And it's like all liquid inside, and it looked like goldfish or something in it. It was pretty cool. <laughs> For the time, I'd never seen anything like that. But back to the artwork that that James came out in 2009, and he was saying, he's like, I'm disgusted with that artwork. That shouldn't have gone. Kirk and Lars really had a big say in that, and we're really kind of it. And this artist who did both load and reload covers, it's actually like bovine blood, and then his semen, and bovine blood, and his urine that he used for these covers. I don't know. I guess it's art. Then that's what James is saying. He's like, I'm not against art, but that's weird art to me. It got attention. I mean, but they're not the type of band that does sensational shit to get attention either, though. No, they really don't. No. If they're trying to make an artistic statement, they really mean it. Yeah. Um, I have a hard time picking a favorite track off this album because there's a lot. Um, but I would have to go with Bleeding Me. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I think... I think that that's one of the songs that they've never played live. Seriously? Never? I'm, I'm almost... Oh, no. They, it's on S&M. Okay. Then I'm thinking of something different. I wonder what it is. There's only a few. There's a real small handful. It's funny because I was just reading up on it before I was talking with you. And I got down this wormhole on their website. Their website's really cool because you can pick any song read the lyrics. It'll show how many times they've played it live. Every, 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 um, uh, every, every concert that they've ever played it live, the date. And wow. Yeah, they're, they're really neat that way. They don't like to play. They always look at the set list before they come to a, a city and say, okay, what did we play last time? What did we play two times ago? Let's give them something different. And so they try to make it different, but their website, you can go in a big wormhole and find out everything about every song. It's really well done. It's always nice to know that they're changing up the sets or rewriting a set every every night. Just, I mean, as an artist, I think that keeps it interesting for you. I would be bored out of my mind playing the same set every night. 
Ultra. Yeah. I was looking at Hero of the Day, for example, right? Which is one of my all-time favorites. That's good. Uh, Hero of the Day, they've played, I don't know, 61 times live or something like that. And then you look at Nothing Else Matters and it's mm. like 13,000 times or something like that. So it's pretty interesting <laughs> that they, they track all of that. That's, yeah, believe, that's amazing that, that they keep track of that. Yeah, they pay somebody good money to take their data. <laughs> was Until It Sleeps the first single? It yeah, was, wasn't it? That was the first one that came out with the, with the video. And then um, King Nothing, I think, was after that. And then Hero of the Day. And then even Mama Said was a single. It just didn't get a lot of love in the radio world. Because you'd never hear that song on the radio. But it was considered a single. They did put out a video for it and everything. I'm looking over the list again. I liked Poor Twisted Me because it was something different. Yeah. Yeah. The grind to it. thought it was really interesting. And The Outlaw Torn, I enjoyed a lot too. That's, that's a bit of a dedication to Cliff. That's kind of how they cope with Cliff, I guess, was with that song. It's just kind of a message to them. How they dealt with it, I guess I should say. Message to them. Until It Sleeps and Mama Said and Hero of the Day were all about the loss of James's mom, which is kind of interesting. He's kind of those feelings because they really did take a dark turn, right? Going into Load and, and Reload, they got a little darker lyrically. True. Yeah. Um, I remember being fascinated with the very end of King Nothing 
if you listen to the way the guitar kind of just fades out and then James goes, we're up to never, never land. He says that kind of just over the very end of it. I always thought that was really neat. I'm like, ooh, he's tying it back. I never noticed that. Yeah, listen to the end of King Nothing and just let it fade and crank it up and you'll hear him, up to never, never land. You've given me us all these little Easter eggs. I'm appreciating that. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Um, reload the next year. Yeah. Kickoff single was Memory Remains, but I remember Fuel coming out very shortly after that. Yeah, Fuel Fuel was the one that just punched you in the face. That is just still to this day one of my favorites. Like when they play that live, or if I hear it, if it comes on when I'm doing whatever I'm doing, I'm I'm singing, I'm air drumming, I'm going nuts for it because it's you don't get tired of it, no. You don't yeah. It's just total adrenaline. It's like gets you going. Yeah. Um what would be my favorite on this one? Hmm. I definitely love Low Lo Man's lyric, like I'd mentioned earlier, but for something like heavier, I don't know. It's probably fuel, to be honest. Um yeah. Better Than okay. You is kind of cool too. Yeah, I like them all, but uh, fuel fuel will get me going all the time. And then Low Man's lyric, I think, is cool. And I really like Unforgiven too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember seeing that on the CD and you know, Unforgiven too. What? And then to start it with that same horn, mm-hmm. you know, that same drum roll coming through. I'm like, what's gonna happen? And you know, you even did Unforgiven three later in life. And, um, pretty good. I'm looking through the list of, because after that, at 97, I kind of get a little bit lost in the order of it. So that's why I have the Wikipedia pulled up here to see what happened. Garage Days Revisited, I think, was the next EP that came out, wasn't it? Yeah, Garage Inc. was in... Garage Inc. 98. Okay. Um, they kind of just decided, they're like, you know what, we did three serious albums. Because Load and Reload were supposed to be a double album, but they didn't studio that long so like put some out take a break and put some more out but yeah garage inc was just covers i mean can you imagine being able to play your favorite covers and make a killer album out of it and have <laughs> like whiskey in the jar which everyone knows and everyone loves and it's way better than the original yeah that cover gets done a lot like um in general people cover that song quite a bit i've heard it a few times but theirs is the most popular cover i've ever heard of it heavier got their own signature sound to it songs by diamond head killing joke the misfits thin lizzy merciful fate black sabbath and others garage inc tuesday's gone that's a really you got nine it's just a bunch of them you know i think gary cantrell's in there Les claypool's in there and they got a whole big group of them just kind of jamming it out and it's unreal kind of just taking things back to the roots of what influenced them exactly yeah. jamming in the garage yeah motorhead then all those guys they were huge, huge and then this the second disc came out that was another like back-to-back thing with the revisited well like the garage days ep was kind of the original one that came out in like the late 80s and it was very hard to find like you couldn't get yeah. it. it was kind of garage days revisited and kind of basically packaged that stuff with some new stuff all together okay 
Yeah. Oh, I see what they did. Okay. If you've ever listened to their version of Stone Cold Crazy. Yes. And then you put it next to Queens. Queens is unreal, obviously, but Metallica um, is just it's a band. I saw them cover it at the Freddie Mercury tribute concert. The first yeah. time I saw them do Stone Cold Crazy. And I think that that was way before they'd actually recorded it. Because I think it was back in 92. Okay, yeah. When the tribute happened. Or 93, uh, possibly. Yeah. So that was the cool band to have included in that. What a great show that was. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, 99 is when... Am I missing an album yet? <laughs> no, you're, you're on it. S&M. Okay. S&M. S&M. I can listen to all day. Every day. I just absolutely love it. It's, uh, again, doing what they want to do, right? Because whoever thought, okay, well, the biggest hard rock band in the world and the symphony from San Francisco are going to get together and put on a show and record it. And some of their songs, like if you think of you know, hero of the day, nothing else matters. Those are two in particular ones that go so well with the orchestra that those versions are almost better than the album versions because it's yeah slowed down on the drums and it's the strings and everything that's going on. It's unreal to listen to. One new track on that would have been No Leaf Clover. Yeah. They I were. think that was the only brand new original for that one. <laughs> put out a, a S&M part two 
So yeah. I don't want to get it confused with that. <laughs> the thing that should not be. Oh, that, that was on there. And the Call of Cthulhu, also super good. That just goes so well with, it's already an instrumental and to have it with more instruments. <laughs> yes. Makes it great. There's something cool about how their style works so well with classical instruments. Yeah, absolutely. They, they essentially are like a classical band with like, but they're loud. Yeah. You know, yeah. just they, the way they compose. And they can play, they can play. They just, it's flawless to watch them play. Like they just, they don't seem to miss a beat, you know, and here we are in 2021. Yeah. They can still do it. You know, when we were in lockdown and they did that, unplugged acoustic version if you will of blackened and they did it via skype like this or zoom mm -hmm. whatever they just sat there and they all had their instruments and their headphones on and they played this really dumbed down version slow version of blackened and it's cool they can just do it all this is what happens i guess when you've I been what they were up to during the pandemic they did a lot for their charity all within my hands. They were, you know, auctioning things off and they played a few gigs where, you know, without audiences, like, uh, mm -hmm. whatnot. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. Enjoyed their money, I guess. One of the biggest things that was happening with them at the end of the 90s, before I move on to that, I should mention 2000 because 90s bleeds over into 2000 and that's okay because I think it's worth talking about. Um, I Disappear came out on the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack, and I thought that track was really cool, too. I did, too. And the video was great. And it made me buy Mission Impossible 2 on DVD just because of the song. <laughs> it really sold the movie, didn't it? Yeah, I'm like, eh, whatever song it is. But this song is a band. Yeah. So the whole reason the whole Napster thing started is because that song was leaked yeah. on the Napster peer-to-peer -peer file sharing network. And then there was a huge backlash because Metallica was the first band that really like popular mainstream rock artists that went against file sharing and said, we need to stop this. We're losing money. Yeah. This is illegal. This is wrong. And it ended up pissing off a lot of people. A lot of people really, and they really ripped on Lars for it. Well, he was kind of the spokesman for it. And yeah, he got torn apart. And he's like one of my heroes. Um, but my buddies had a great time making fun of me. Because, I mean, we were all using Napster and LimeWire and all those things back then to get music. In fact, I downloaded I Disappear illegally. <laughs> but, you know, and it, and it, it sucks to watch because you're like, oh, I'm such a fan of you. Just shut up. But, yeah. I mean, they made points too. They, they're not doing it for free. They're doing it for money. Yeah, it was kind of a dark time. That that was the time when I was the most frustrated with them. I didn't care when they cut their hair. I didn't care when they changed a bit of their style. But when they went through that. I'm like, hey, just pump the brakes a bit. It's hard to convince the public to feel sorry for you when you're rich. That's true. That's and um, but I see it as an artist too. I can see the point is you 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 should make money off your work. Yeah. It's your work, and why? Of course you should. The thing is too, though, is that the record companies were the ones who were truly ripping them off because yeah. the record companies, like artists don't make anything off the sales of their music. They never really have. I don't know. I don't know the ins and outs of it. It's touring <laughs> and merchandise. Well, I know that's where they make the bulk, but I mean, they got to be making something off their music. 
Well, a lot less nowadays, but <laughs> but I guess maybe it was just at the format of everything about how how you made money change. So they're still rich. They're just rich from other sources now. Yeah. Yeah. They're not getting money off of this sweet Metallica tattoo right here. Yes. You should tell the story about how you met them. Uh, well, I was lucky. I, um, I was working in radio. I was doing overnights, making $8 an hour. And I was doing that for a little while. Lucrative. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Metallica was coming to town and I, uh, I, had, I had seen them once before. So this was going to be my second time. I'm like, I'm going to the show no matter what. And I went to my program director and I said, if there's any way that you can pull some strings or whatever to get me in backstage, you can pay me this same $8 an hour shit for the rest of my career and I'll be happy. I'm like, I'll be fine with that. He's like, all right, I'll, I'll talk to some people. And so uh, Laura from Warner Music, I don't know if you ever had the pleasure of meeting her. She's a wonderful lady. Uh, she, she said, get a couple of your buddies or whoever you're going to the show with and meet me you know, at the Gretzky statue at Rexall Place at like five. You know, Who before. didn't meet at the Gretzky statue? That's like the spot, right? <laughs> so we went there and uh it was weird because for some reason i was like okay i'm meeting metallica i should probably take my glasses off which is so weird because i've worn glasses since i was in sixth grade and i was like if i'm gonna get pictures with them though i want to want to look cool and not have my glasses on so i took them off right and i didn't didn't even take them to the concert anyway so we go we go backstage and we had disposable cameras like we bought disposable cameras before the show and she's like you get two items to get signed and then they're going to come through and, and, you know, quick picture, sign your things, move on to the next person. I'm like, all right. And when I was back before in the, around the load time, when we were waiting in line outside of heritage mall to get tickets, uh, we used to hang out at Boston pizza, a lot of bunch of our friends, cause some were 18, some were 17. So we just hung out there. Right. Yeah. Uh, someone knew that I was a big Metallica fan and they said, I've got something for you. And, so they brought it to me the next time and it was a Metallica comic book, like this really rare, weird comic book. And it's all about Metallica. Sweet. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to take that to get signed. And then I had this like eight by 10 kind of glossy picture, you know, the one in the load album cover inside where they're, they're all sitting there with big cigars. And yeah. Just yeah. So I had that eight by 10. So those are the two things that I took in to get signed. And um, Lars being, you know, my drum hero and just my music hero, I was most excited to meet him, but I wanted to meet them all. And uh, so they came in. This was in 2004. So this is the 2004 show. And Jason was no longer with them. Rob was with them now, right? Mm-hmm. I think the only memorabilia I had at the time, not, I had nothing with Rob on it, nothing. And so I'm like, okay, well, I hope he's not going to care. So they come in and they, they line you all up around in this room underneath Rexall and they line everybody up around the walls. So there's three walls of the four walled room and you're all lined up around it and you wait. And then all of a sudden Rob comes walking in and everyone's just like, Oh man, <laughs> Rob comes in and he starts like talking to me. Hey, how you doing? Shaking hands and take a picture, sign the thing, go to the next person. And there was a bunch of us, like probably 40, 50 people in there. Mm-hmm. And so he's coming around and he gets about halfway through the lineup. And then all of a sudden Kirk comes walking in and then everyone's like, Oh man. And uh, so he starts doing the same thing. Right. And so Rob comes up to me and he's like, what can I sign for you? So I gave him that 
eight by 10 and that Metallica comic book. And he's like, man, you got to get some new stuff. I was like, I'm sorry. And then as he was walking away, I'm like, you just joined the band. I don't have anything with you. In it. But <laughs> find it anyway. And then Kirk came, same thing. Then James came through and then, then the old man's got louder and everyone was pumped and he comes over. So we take our pictures and it was funny because I remember him wearing these yellow kind of motorbike glasses. Like there were thick black frames with the yellow lenses. And it's just weird to see him looking like that because he doesn't look like they don't look like they do on stage when they're in person. They're in like leisure suits and ball caps and glasses. It was just weird. Mm-hmm. So he came through and I was like, that's amazing. And then Lars came in and I handed my buddy my disposable camera when Lars was like five people away from me. I'm like, snap as many pictures as you can. I'm going to fangirl. I know it. I know it. <laughs> and so Lars came over and he signed my things. And I was like, this is the greatest moment. I can't believe I'm getting to meet you. Like you have no idea. And I showed him my tattoo. I'm like, I'm a huge fan. I played drums in the whole life. I play like you. This is just incredible. So he signed my two things and he was like, thank you so much for the kind words. He's like, that's awesome. He's like, what else can I sign for you? And I was like, okay. So he signed my backstage pass. He signed my ticket stub and he signed the Metallica shirt I was wearing. So he signed five things for me and just was wow. awesome. All these pictures. And then my buddy took, and of course it's a disposable camera. So when you look at the pictures now, they're grainy and ugly and, you know, blurry and red eye and all that stuff, but they're still good. Uh, and so that was that moment and yeah, I'll never forget that. And then I was actually lucky enough to do it again. Really? <laughs> yeah. In 2008, I got to see them when they came back again and uh, got to go backstage again, got to meet them again. And for some stupid reason, I left my glasses at home and <laughs> I, my buddy and I, the same guy that we went to the first time we went, um, we, we had a little more money. We were a little older, you know? So we stopped at Axe Music right across from Rexall. He bought a guitar uh, to get signed. And I'm like, I don't have that kind of money. I'm going to buy a drum head. Yeah. So I bought a drum head and uh, I bought the Death Magnetic album, like vinyl album. So I got That's them signed both of those. And then it was the same thing. Like you just got to meet them all. They'd all come through and life was good. That's So there's the drum head. Oh. Drum oh, head. that's awesome. Death Magnetic. And then inside that little frame is the, uh, probably, that's the comic, oh, the comic book. The 8x10 glossy and the, um, the ticket stub and the backstage pass, all that stuff. That's all the things that they signed and all the tickets from the shows that I've been to. And then they signed those two things there. So. Really. That is quite the collection. And then there's that up there. Are those this um, Todd McFarlane? Yeah, so I got the whole stage set up for that one, which was the coolest thing. And then that's the is it is it four of them in the figurines or just two? No, there's four, but Jason fell down one too many times, and (laughs) he won't stand up there anymore. So he's laying down behind the drum set. You know, I have the Bon Jovi ones of those. You know, I do. I bet you do. (laughs) The whole collection. What's that, what's that set like? Is it like a full stage or is it just John? Just, just John and Richie, I think. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, it's a lot more scaled down. But that one's really sweet. Yeah, that. And the weird thing is, is I got it so long ago, I can't believe it survived all the apartments and shady roommates that I lived with and <laughs> parties and all the things. Like, 
I have that set up in my room like yeah I'm a fan and mm-hmm. you know I have that the live kit binge and purge box set like all these things that I'm like I'm so impressed that they survived all this time when did binge and purge come out that was in 93 <gasps> we didn't even talk about that yet yeah 93 that one came out um that was a doozy like that was a doozy it was I remember what it looked like, but I don't essentially remember what music was in it. Wasn't it kind of like a big gray box that looked like, um, like a chest? Looked like um, like gear. Yeah, that's it. So it's got three VHS, two CDs. It's got the scary guy. It's got this book. So it's like kind of a book with pictures and all that stuff in the tour. And then it had this scary guy stencil. That's cool, but I was like, what do you, I guess you could get some spray paint and <laughs> I guess, I don't know. Put I think it I, on some stuff. Yeah. And then there was a mock snake pit. Remember the snake pit that they had as one of the, it was right around like for the Black Album tour. I heard the, about it. Yeah. It was kind of like right in the middle of the stage and it was the ramp went all the way around it. And that was kind of like the place to be. So there was like a snake pit backstage pass replica in there. So yeah that was a good one i remember um lars was doing a drum solo in there and then in in one of the vhs tapes and then i would watch that religiously and at one point james comes up and starts kind of like messing around with him on the stage and so then there's two drum sets two of lars's like iconic tama kits up there and then james goes and sits at one and lars is at the other and they're kind of like drumming back and forth and i mean to me, I was just blown away. I'm like, this band can do everything. And now they're having dueling drum ops with each other. So that's what <laughs> made from live shit vengeance. And the cool box. It's so cool. I'm, I'm, you are the right person to talk to about Metallica. I'm really glad that you wanted to do this. Oh, I'm, happy to have <laughs> I'm just, I'm just really to... like, oh, the obsession. It's weird. I still, to this day, like, did you hear what they announced today? No. So timely for this podcast. They announced today that they're doing uh, what's called the Blacklist because the Black Album is turning 30 in August, right? So they have 53 versions of the songs on the Black Album that have all been done by this vast array of artists and they're all doing it their way. Like, so Metallica's like, here's our Black Album. Pick a song that you love do it your way and we're going to release it all. So it's all coming out in September. Uh, that's when it's going to be officially released. But today they released the first one. It's nothing else matters. It's, it's a collaboration of Elton John. <gasps> Yo- uh, Rob Trujillo is playing bass on it. Uh, and Cad Smith from the Chili's is playing drums on it. And guess who's singing? Miley Cyrus. It came out today and it's unreal. Yeah. Okay. I got to go find that. Really good. Weezer's going to be doing one. They, they, the whole list is on their website right now. They just announced it today. You said we- 53 covers? Yeah. So what it is, is it's like there might be seven covers of Nothing Else Matters, but it's like seven different artist versions, right? And then maybe 10 versions of Enter Sandman by all these different versions. You know, Royal Blood's doing one. I think Weezer's doing Enter Sandman is one of them. So yeah, I mean, it's Really cool. Really is fun. the list actually put out yet, or is it still all a surprise? Yeah, yeah no, it's out. Uh, let me see if I can pull it up. Here. 
I was just looking at it today because they just announced it today. Yeah, it's called Blacklist. And September 10th, it's out. Like Elisa Cara. There's a lot of names in here I don't know. But Corey Taylor, Cage the Elephant. Uh, Portugal, the man. I bet they got that Post Malone. No, Post Malone's not on there. That kind of surprises me. Oh, yeah. Who? Darius Rucker. Oh, nice. Rudy himself and Chris Stapleton. I love Chris Stapleton. Yeah, he does. He does some pretty good stuff. So it's gonna be. Uh, it's gonna be unreal. But if you get a chance, listen to the one that came out today. It's yeah, Miley Cyrus, Yo Yo Ma, Chad Smith, Rob Trujillo. There's someone named Watt. I'm not sure who that is, but yeah, it's really Watt. Good. Yeah. Okay. Good. I found it on the Kerrang website. That's really good. So yeah, look, there's something to look forward to. I can't believe the black arms still exist. See, people were pretty productive during the pandemic. Lots yeah. of recording happened. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. You know what was cool about starting this podcast during this time is that people were actually available to talk to me. Yeah, I bet. And willing and ready and pumped. I've just been trying to grow it, you know? And I'm having such a good time doing it, so. And that's you and Jordan Knight behind you, isn't it? Yes. Mm-hmm. And then that's um, Richie Sambora and me. I was 15. And that's Tico Torres. Nice. Um, I took this picture. It's too shiny, but it's John and Richie um, at the Stampede. And then I got Tiffany to sign that like three years ago. Oh, that's really good. And then this is a Bon Jovi set list. Richie was at the mall. Did you get her to sign one at the mall? No, I wish. It was actually (laughs) at the gay bar. Even better. Yeah, she went to perform at Evo three years ago. And she just showed, like, they just got her to come in and sing, like, three or four songs, do some meet and greets, and then she was off back to the States. Three or four songs? You mean one song? She actually had more than one song. (laughs) (laughs) I can't name them. (laughs) That was the first cassette I ever had that I bought that was mine. Oh, yeah? It was Tiffany. That I got to make my own choice. Okay. Okay. So so it's got that uh, total nostalgia for me. What was your first CD? First CD was Extreme Porno Graffiti. That's so good. I love that album still. Brilliant album, front of that. Like Nuno, come on, he's the best. But um, mine was yeah. the DJ on the rock. Definitely <laughs> <laughs> the Fresh Prince. That was my. Oh, which? Sorry, what was the name of the album? He's the DJ. I'm the rapper. Was that in the eighties? Oh, or early nineties. Yeah, that was nineties. That was with like Nightmare on My Street. And parents just don't understand. And it might have been a best of. Now that I think about it, I'm not sure. But that was. And then Bare Naked Ladies Gordon, I think, was my second CD. Hey, classic yeah, Canadiana, and it's pretty good too. Before I met Metallica. Before Metallica? Yeah. Oh. No, I I love my cheese and I'm proud of it. I have no guilty pleasures. Everything I'm proud of. I still play it once in a while for my kids. I'm like, hey, you want to hear some some gems? And I'll put on like the right stuff I need to run a block around. (laughs) Not not doing it. But they do like Metallica, so that's good. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. I went to, well, NKOTPSB was really fun. When the see, two boy bands got together. I never got to see one of them. 
I enjoyed it. But when, when I met Jordan Knight, he was like playing the nest at Nate. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Isn't that so weird? Think about that. Because I, Jordan, I don't know if it was the same time or not. Do you remember what, what year around that was you took that? 2006. Okay. So it would have been, that was way before. I, I interviewed Jordan Knight in, I want to say, 2011. He came into the studio. And this was when we were late 95 seconds. And uh, he came in, it was like him and one other guy just walked into our building, came upstairs, sat down, we did an interview, took a few pictures and, and off he went. And I was like, how weird is that? That's like if Bieber in 20 years from now is kind of just washed up and no one, you're like, okay, well, there's Justin Bieber and his friend walking into that radio station. Nobody cares. Like, I yeah. mean, I'm sure there's some fans out there that would have been pumped to know that he was coming into the building that day, but it's still... Yeah. You know, back in oh, their, I would have been there if I <laughs> right back in their prime, they couldn't go anywhere without handlers and bodyguards and everybody. And now they just walk around like, yeah, it's good. There was a time when he, they were the biggest stars on earth, absolutely. And it's so hard stars. to imagine that now. And I have a picture of him and I sitting just like you on him on our couch, just eh. like it's just, it's just I want to see it. <laughs> it was like, um, oh man. Yeah, it was weird because I'm talking to him. Same thing. Even with Brett Michaels, that was the same thing. Like, I was such a Poison fan. Mm -hmm. I had a phone interview and uh, we were promoting the show that was happening the next month or whatever. And we finished the interview on the phone and I, I said to him, when we finished recording, you know, I said, I just got to tell you, Brett, Swallow This Live, Poison, that double cassette, I listened to that thing religiously on my Walkman all the time. Ricky Rocket's drum solo, all the songs, everything. And it was just such a huge album for me growing up hmm. same thing like oh thanks for the kind words you're coming to the show right make sure you come and see me come and see me and i got to go see him and like get a picture and talk to him and i was like this is just so surreal it's brett michaels you know, the rock of love guy the apprentice guy yeah it's strange how things have changed but at the same time i kind of like how everyone's more accessible they are everyone is and now with things like camera and whatnot everybody's the right side. Now it's like you could actually like tweet somebody and they actually get a response. Aww. So hard to see, but that's Jordan. That's awesome. <laughs> Sitting on a couch. And so that's cool. So he was I really quiet. That's what I, but he was also really sick that day. Oh, yeah. I met him. Yeah happy in that picture yeah he was he was really nice he's just quiet i'm like yeah, i've watched these cartoons you know what i'm watch cartoons oh yeah i have a couple on vhs so cartoons. they're probably this turned into crumbled into dust by now i'm sure yeah. <laughs> well yeah i'm gonna get wrap things wrapped up so i'm just so happy you did this thank you thank you thanks for having me i appreciate it i talked to talk all day yeah, I don't know. Maybe in the future we can do another one if there's another band you want to talk about or artist. 100%. Anything you want. I'm here for you. I love that you're doing this and I wish you all the success doing it and uh, keep it up because I mean, Dope Nostalgia puts it properly and the 90s were the best. So, Thank you. Thank you so much, Ryan, for being on the show. You were an amazing guest and I'll be happy to have you back anytime you'd like. 
If you check out our YouTube channel, you can see some of the video we took in our Zoom meeting where Ryan gets to show us his Metallica collection and it's super sweet. So youtube.com forward slash dope nostalgia podcast. Hey kids, put down that Tamagotchi and listen for a second. You know, you can follow us on Twitter at Nostalgia Dope, Instagram at Dope underscore Nostalgia. Visit our website at www.dopenostalgia.com or pick up the phone and call us at 780-851-8785. This podcast is licensed by SoCan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work.